The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Who remembers Pure Mule? It was, for many people, the best thing that RT has put out on television this century. And the man who wrote it, Eugene O'Brien, is back with a novel which is a bit pure mule, I think it's fair to say. It's called Going Back. How are you, Eugene? How are you? How are you doing? This is the follow-up, maybe 15 years on, is it a book following up on the TV series? Yeah, it's it's usually the other way around. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it we made it we made a kind of two-part follow-up in 2009 from the original series. And so this is 10 years on. And the main character, Scobie Donoghue, um, is, uh, was in Australia for 10 years and now he has to come home and uh, kind of face up to himself and he's kind of come home to a town that doesn't really know him anymore and uh, he can't seem to settle and he's got various issues and um, it all comes to a head and he has to try and kind of delve into his own psyche. What's behind the hard drinking archetypal Irish male? There's something else going on. So he has to try and get into that and and, um, so that's kind of what the book's about. So it's, it's got lots of other characters in it and uh, lots of kind of colour and uh, lots of um, kind of really interesting female characters as well, which he gets involved with uh, to distract himself from his own problems, of course. But then ultimately, he's got to face up to himself and what's going on. What persuaded you to go down the fiction novel route, first time debut novel, rather than go back to the visual medium in which for which you're best known? Um, I think it was... Um, well, the Pure Meal was shown during the pandemic again, um, which is great. And there was a whole load of new people, kind of younger people watching it. And people seemed to really think it stood up and it was it was great. And Gill Publishers rang and said, would you like to do a book? Now, they didn't prescribe a Pure Meal book. They said, any type of book, what would you like to write? And I thought about a few things and then I thought, no, I actually would love to write about this Scobie character and who's, who's turning 40. And that was a kind of a big deal for me, turning 40, which is a while ago. Uh, but um, I found it quite difficult. So I wanted to kind of delve into that and um, go beyond his uh, outer exterior kind of Jack the Lad thing, you know. You're a busy man because you've also got a play at the Dublin Theatre Festival coming up. Yes, I, I wrote a play in the pandemic as well. It was fantastic for writers, really, because we don't leave the house anyway. So, you know, and there was no distraction. But no, it just just hit a good run of form. Again, going 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 back to the... And what's the play? It's a place called Heaven and it's a kind of a follow-up to a play I wrote 20 years ago called Eden. Um, it's set in County Offaly in a town. It's about a married couple again. Uh, but he's from Limerick, she's from the town and they live in Limerick and they're back for the sister's wedding. And they've got kind of... They get on very well. They're, they're, they're in their kind of early 50s, my age, and they're, they, they're great pals, but... Um, the marriage, the passion has long since died and they, um, there's deep, dark desires and secrets that they both have that kind of emerge through this, at this wedding. And it, it, everything takes a very unexpected turn. So it's a, it's a monologue play. It's a, two great actors, Andrew Bennett, who people might know from On Colin Kuhn, the, the, um, the hit Irish language film, and the great Janet Morn. Uh, so... Rehearsals are going on at the moment and I'm really, really excited about it. It's booking really well and I think it's uh, it's very funny and I think there's a lot of heart in it as well and hopefully people will, will enjoy it. Well, we're going to get to all your influences because for the Culture Club, we go back through all your favourite movies and music and television and books and the mm. rest of it. And we start, Eugene, every week with uh, the first piece of music that you remember buying and you're of an age where it's a single. 
Yes. And it's one that I remember really well because I love the album that it came off. This is from The Police. It was The Police, uh, Walking on the Moon. Was the was the first single I ever actually bought, kind of with pocket money myself, kind of thing, and um, it was off the album Regatta de Blanc, um, which had "Message in a Bottle" on it and all that kind of stuff. And uh, myself and two other lads uh, wanted to enter a talent show in the in first year. It was a Christmas talent show in the in the in the school, the school hall, and uh, so we wanted to mime. What school was uh, this? In St Mary's Secondary School in Eaton Derry. And we wanted to mime um, the, the song and I would do Sting and another lad would do the bass and another lad would do the drums. So we would practice with Walking on the Moon uh, for hours, just mouthing the words and all that. And uh, we got second prize. We got four pounds uh, in the old money. So it was great. A giant step. Great. <laughs> Let's hear a little bit of the track. <laughs> Did you ever listen to The Police? Um, the odd time I listened to some of the tracks on the early albums, like um, Next to You, Born in the 50s, from the first one, Atlantis to Moore. Yeah, sometimes, but not really anymore. Some of the earlier stuff has yeah. aged way, way better until before they went more mainstream. Yes, the synchronicity and all that kind of thing. Every break you take, I'd kind of gotten out of them by then because I was getting very cool, you know, and I was getting into more kind there of There are some great stuff, tracks like you know. King of Pain. But well, King of Pain is a great song. Yeah. Actually, yes, King of Pain is a great song. But what would be the favourite album that you'd nominate for us? That's very difficult, really. I mean, above all... Uh, I suppose, like I put down Springsteen's Nebraska as a very strong candidate because it had a huge influence on me. At about 15, the songs were story songs, which I really liked, and they were about America, but about, about a t- type of America that we didn't really see in movies as much, and uh, very stark, and he recorded it at home on, the, on, a, on an eight-track thing. And um, I used to, I, I really got lost, songs like Used Cars and Atlantic City. Um, so I love that. Anything by Bowie, Low Diamond Dogs, but the ultimate prize probably Velvet Underground, the 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 the, the you know the Banana album, the Andy Warhol with Nico. Uh, I just think it's stunning, and I think it invented everything. I don't think there would have been anything without that album. You know, all the stuff that I loved, all the new wave stuff, Bowie. Everyone owes a huge debt to that album. Let's hear Sunday Morning. Sunday morning brings the dawn It's just a restless feeling by my side Wasted years so close behind Watch out, the world's behind you There's always 
Velvet Underground and Nico's 1967 album, that's Sunday morning. So, get best gig, another one that must be very difficult to narrow down, but give us a few choices. Well, they're all, they all happened many years ago, but um, I did, I did, I saw lo- loads of really good people at Oxygen over the years. I used to be able to get into it. A friend of mine was able, was working there and used to be able to get me in, but uh, I, I have to go back to the 80s. Uh, I saw the Pogues in the great SFX venue. Um, and there was a thousand of us just it was crazy Rum Sodomy in the last tour um, it was poetic and wild and mad and they could kind of play their instruments and Shane could sing and there was a curtain I remember a curtain uh, just passed across at the beginning and they sang Sick Bed of Cucullan and the place went absolutely great mental it was extraordinary uh, but probably the most extraordinary gig I was ever at was Tom Waits at the Olympia Theatre 87 Frank's Wild Years we were, we got good seats dress circle front row myself and a mate and um, he had all these fridges on stage with all his band members and he had a big kind of microphone hanging out of the ceiling like an old fashioned mic with a light bulb in it and he kind of just uh, sang and um, it was that great album that was the story of Frank you know Frank's Wild Years and I don't think that could be topped I mean, he came, I saw him again in 2007. He played in the big tent in the Phoenix Park or somewhere and it didn't really work, I felt. There was too many people there and it was it was like he was gigging in the other room or something. But 87 was amazing. Favourite bands? You've got a few very much influenced by the late 70s and into the 80s. I'm afraid I'm terribly old-fashioned. Like my nephew, who's a great uh, musician, uh, is trying to get me into stuff. So he was trying to get me to... Uh, Queens of the Stone Age and all that, which is fantastic, and and various other people. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, the jam I loved as a twelve-year-old is the stuff you listen. You know, the stuff you first really fall in love with stays with you. I think, and some of the jam is still amazing. Setting suns, eating rifles, all that album. Um, well, actually, before you nominate your other favorite bands, let's hear a bit of the jam, a bit of Going Underground. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people love Paul Weller's more modern stuff, but was he at his best again when he was raw and angry like he was in the jam in the early days? Well, I, I, I would think so. I just had more of a relationship with that. That was just, I was maybe at the perfect age for it or something. And I, I saw him a couple of years ago in Trinity and he was amazing. Uh, but just that stuff. And he was only 22 or 23 when he wrote that. It was that and it was political. It was saying something. And yet it was number one on the charts. You know, he, he could he could mix it up. He was brilliant. You also nominated Talking Heads and Joy Division. Oh, God, yeah. I love Talking Heads so much. Uh, I remember going to see the Stop Making Sense film in the Ambassador Cinema in the 80s and just everyone was dancing in the aisles and it was just amazing. I, um, the song Heaven by Talking Heads, I used to play a lot when I was actually writing the play Heaven. Um, and we're going to, I think we're going to use it at the end, you know, when people are going out. Uh, so big fan of them. 
And then when I was very angsty and wearing long coats and not going out <laughs> when I was 16, Joy Division was the absolute band of choice. Absolutely loved them. Um, closer, especially Closer, the second album. Um, and they're brilliant. I, I actually have been listening to them recently. I haven't listened to them in a long while and they really stand up. But um, then for a favourite artist, you've gone for David Bowie. Well, Bowie uh, has to be the one that to this day uh, is still, I saw the film Moon Age Daydream the other week in the IMAX. It's amazing. Yeah, that um, was recommended by both our music reviewers and by our movie critic as been one of the best documentaries on music in recent times. Absolutely, because it doesn't, it's not a straight kind of, a, you know, a talking heads, talking yep. thing. It, it's very hallucinatory and kind of dreamlike and goes back and forth, very chaotic, embraces chaos, which Bowie said you must always do, embrace chaos and and go with it. So brilliant. And I, I, I remember saving up loads of money in 1983 to buy all his albums. We worked in the shop at home. Uh, we used to have a supermarket in Newton Dairy. And, I, and that was the big obsession was to go up to Golden Discs. You got Discs. all the back catalogue, did you? Well, I went up on the bus to Golden Discs and I remember just going, can I get Diamond Dogs, Pinups, uh, Stardust? Then you want the, the girl behind the counter says, it's okay, we have them all here. It's fine. You know, I've just seen this panic to get them all. And I, I and of course, his later albums then were masterpieces and he made art out of his death and all of that. And again, someone who was what, so madly popular but yet was an artist and, and kind of brilliant and was able to say something about the world. And that's, a, that's an amazing um, mix to be able to do, you know. I hope you like the track we've picked, Sound and Vision. Love it. second run that track has had in the last week or so here in The Last Word because we played a slightly modified version which is part of that documentary you mentioned the soundtrack about which John Cadell recommended last week has been absolutely brilliant. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here on the Culture Club on The Last Word in Today Fame. Eugene O'Brien is with us the man who was originally behind Pure Mule who now has his first novel going back out and also has a new play Heaven at the Dublin Theatre Festival. So more from Eugene O'Brien in the Culture Club when we come back after this. The Last Word with Matt Cooper Today FM It all happens here Welcome back. Eugene O'Brien, the author of Going Back, is with us for the Culture Club. And uh, so as we get into the visual things now, let's go to favourite movies. And I think you've got quite a few to nominate here again, don't you? Well, yes. I mean, I suppose that the, my favourite one, which has remained a favourite for many years, because your, your film, your favourite film kind of changes as you get older, yeah. you know. Um, and it was a film called Night of the Hunter. I saw it on BBC Two uh, when I was in the 80s sometime. And uh, it's an extraordinary kind of black and white film about a, a crazy preacher who's uh, chasing two kids that have money hidden in a doll. And Robert Mitchum plays the preacher. He has love and hate written on his knuckles. And uh, it's an astonishing film, dreamlike uh, nightmare of a film, directed by the great Charles Lawton, English actor. Uh, so that would be high up there. And then I, I have a huge love of Sam Peckinpah films and... 
his great western The Wild Bunch which I first saw as a nine-year-old in Eaton Dairy Cinema which was highly illegal at the time because um, there was a lot of bloodletting in it and you know it was a very famous violent film but uh, in Eaton Dairy they would show sometimes if they didn't have a matinee they would just show what they had the night before for the matinee so 500 kids uh, came running out of the cinema after The Wild Bunch all dying in slow motion and you know uh, and we absolutely loved the violence <laughs> but there was a great poetic kind of thing about it as well uh, the, the intro to the film with these kids are kind of torturing these ants these scorpions with a lot of red ants and it was all anyway it just it, it, it to this day it's still one of my favourite films um, I mean in, in current the last I think great film I saw in the last 10 years is The Florida Project uh, Sean Baker's great film about uh, 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 kind of poverty in America, I suppose. Uh, Sean Baker is a really great American filmmaker who makes films about people on the margins of society in America. And it's set near Disneyland. It's a, like a rundown hotel near Disneyland, but not just outside where the real glamour is. And it tells the story of a six-year-old child and her single mother and the other children who kind of roam around this hotel. And it's an amazing film. And, this, the, and the girl is extraordinary. She's a six-year-old actress in it. But I would recommend it highly. Well, we have a clip from it. William Defoe was in this. And William plays Defoe, yeah, yeah. The budget hotel manager Bobby, and this is where he confronts the rebellious mother Hallie, played by Bria Vianney. I got a videotape of the kids illegally entering the utility room. It's only second week of the summer, and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We were doing an experiment. We were trying to get it back alive. That was my and, idea. And water balloons thrown at tourists. They didn't. Serious? No. Oh my God, this is unacceptable. I failed as a mother, Moni. You've disgraced me. Hurley. Yeah, Mom, you're disgraced. And I'm going to talk to Ashley, by the way. When your friend puts you in charge of her kid, that kid becomes your responsibility. You ain't taking responsibility. And you got that one too? She's from Futureland, right? Oh, whatevs. You got to relax, my man. You going to redo my expense reports with your whatevs? Your kid killed my night. I wanted to watch the ball game. You're going to pay me for three hours that I got to work later? Hey, guys, pay the man for his three hours. I don't have any I don't money. money. I don't have any money. We don't have any money. You're Speaking of which, you haven't given me this week's rent yet. You don't think I know that, Chill? Thank you. You done here? Yeah, watch those kids. That's from the Florida Project by Sean Baker. Now you've also given us a few plays uh, to pick from. Give us your favourites. Oh, the favourites are, are kind of uh, just. Old, I mean, they're big old American kind of classics. Uh, Dead of a Salesman. I saw as a teenager as well. With the great Ray McAnally was playing Willie Loman. It was on the Gaiety, I think. And it absolutely blew me away. Extraordinary play. Um, What's so extraordinary? Because we're going to play an extract from it. So what is it about it that you remember so much? I think I remember the getting inside the head of a man and the soul of a man. I'd never seen it quite done like that on stage before. Where, uh, and I was, I was, I was, I was feeling every moment of it. Uh, you know, and it was, it was when everything theatre works. I mean, theatre can be dreadful or it can be brilliant. You know, uh, it can be very boring or it can be absolutely amazing. And this t- totally just. I, I was totally there. I, I couldn't think of anything else. And um, Well, we don't have the Ray McAnally version. What we do have is from Broadway production in 1999, second week running, an extract involving oh, Brian Dennehy. Oh, yes. I saw. I actually saw this production uh, in 99 in, in, in New York. Yeah, Hope Den- you Brian enjoyed Dennehy. it. 
I, I did. It wasn't as good as Ray Bangalani, though. Well, this is the bit we're going to play. <laughs> Where were you all day? You look terrible. Yeah, I got as far as a little above Yonkers. Stopped for a cup of coffee. Maybe it was the coffee. What? I suddenly couldn't drive anymore. The car kept going off onto the shoulder, you know. Oh, well, maybe it's the steering again. No, no, it's me. It's me. Suddenly, I realized I'm, I'm, I'm going 60 miles an hour. I don't remember driving the last five minutes. I can't seem to keep my mind to it. Well, you're just going to have to take a rest, Willie. You can't continue this way. I just got back from Florida. But you didn't rest your mind. Your mind is overactive, and the mind is what counts, dear. I'll start out in the morning. Yeah, maybe I'll feel better in the morning. Take an aspirin. Should I get you an aspirin? It will soon. I was driving along, you understand? I was fine. I, I was even observing the scenery. <laughs> you can imagine me looking at scenery on the road every week of my life. But it's so beautiful up there, Linda. Trees are thick. All of a sudden, I'm going off the road. I'm telling you, I absolutely forgot I was driving. If I had gone the other way, over the white line, I, I might have killed somebody. I, I went on again. Yeah, five minutes later, I'm dreaming again, and I, I nearly... I have such thoughts. I have such strange thoughts. Oh, that's great. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't beat Ray McAnally, though, I don't think. But, <laughs> but um, uh, it's such a great play. It's about this disintegration of a mind and the pressure that the, the American system puts people under, you know. Uh, and uh, the, my the other great favourite is Glengarry Glen Ross, which is kind of the same thing as these salesmen yeah. under pressure and the, the lengths they will go to to try and make a dollar in this kind of terrible... I was lucky uh, enough to see Pacino in Broadway oh play that. God, right. Richard Schiff, who's a great guest on this program from the West Wing, sorted me out with tickets for the fifth row oh, right in the middle and it was thanks. wonderful. Yeah. David Harbour was in it as well. It was terrific Amazing, to watch. Because he's great in the film as well, but uh, uh, yeah, to see him live. The Playboy of the Western World is another one of your favourites. Oh yeah, it's a great, oh, I, I, just it kind of encapsulates a lot about the Irish character and, and, and um, you know, our... Uh, ability to kind of be in denial about things and pretend uh, things and uh, it's uh, and the language is kind of wild in it and I've seen it many 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 times and I've seen it done really badly and I've seen it done brilliantly and uh, so it would be up there but there's a rake of Irish plays I mean there's Tom Murphy's Whistle in the Dark there's Faith Healer the great monologue play by Brian Friel there's uh, any any Brian Friel really you know I mean we're so lucky in this country with so many great plays we've produced you know I've noticed that you've gone very much for an Irish flavour in your favourite books and authors as well yeah I mean recently uh, I suppose the two two great authors have come out uh, is a a woman called Louise Kennedy oh she has been here recently her book Trespasses is by far my favourite novel of the year it's, it is magnificent it's a magnificent novel and her short stories I, I actually thought were even better uh, The End of the World is a cul-de-sac and she just writes with uh, just great precision and and simplicity, but yet lots of kind of complexity going on. She's she's brilliant, and she was a chef for thirty years and just kind of is is late to the game. But my God, she's unbelievable. Um, and uh, Claire Keegan, Claire Keegan. Okay. Then I've I've loved her for ever since I Antarctica was her first collection, uh, and then Walk the Blue Fields. I it was about ten years ago. I that was just astonishing. 
uh, and now she's kind of in over uh, in, in in total favour uh, with the, because of the Colleen Kuhn and uh, that was based on her short story Foster so she is again a very simple it, it, it feels very simple writing but it isn't uh, and her, her latest book is um, astonishing that's up for the Booker Prize But you also have as your absolute favourite you put down the notes the late William Trevor Ah yeah William Trevor is my favourite uh, I remember seeing Balmer Romance, the, 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 what they, the, the film version of that, uh, the short story in the, in the late, early 80s, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and then that got me actually reading all of his stuff. And uh, he just has an ability to take a roof off a house, look in at the people and put the roof back on again. And he can be quite sinister as well when he wants to be. Um, and he was very good at writing the big house people and the small house people and everyone in between um, and brilliant writer of women and incredibly As it subtle. happens, we have a clip from one of the audiobooks. This is William Trevor himself reading Kathleen's Field from May 1990. Oh, great. I'm after a field of land, sir. Haggerty's tone was modest to the bank agent, careful and cautious. I was wondering, sir, his voice trailed away when Mr Enzo's head began to shake. He'd like to say yes, the bank agent assured him. He would say yes this very instant. Only what use would it be when head office wouldn't agree? They're bad times, Mr Haggerty. It was a Monday morning in 1948. Leaning on the counter, his right hand still grasping the stick, He'd used to drive three bullocks the seven miles from his farm. Haggerty agreed that the times were as bad as ever he'd known them. He'd brought the bullocks in to see if he could get a price for them. But he hadn't been successful. All the way on his journey, he'd been thinking about the field old Lally had spent his lifetime carting the rocks out of. The widow the old man had left behind had sold the 19 acres on the other side of the hill but the last of her fields was awkwardly placed for anyone except Haggerty. Gently sloping, naturally drained, it was free of weeds and thistles, and the grass it grew would do you good to look at. <laughs> William Trevor reading Kathleen's Field. Um, we're short on time, so I'm going to race into the last few yeah. things. Your favourite TV show as a child, <laughs> This you're not the first person to pick this one. Why five oh? Bookham Dano. Bookham Dano. Loved it in the playground. I was Dano and my friend was Steve McGarrett and we went round the playground Honolulu and, you know, solved crimes. You also um, have nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties selections, which I absolutely love. Boys from the Black Stuff yeah. was one of the best TV programmes made in Britain in the eighties. Absolutely. And it, it, again it reflected society uh, there and then. Um, and it's a thing we, it, we it's it's not done now. There's very little really effective political drama at the moment. Uh, and Boys and Black stuff, the characters, the Yossi Hughes, the writing, the the the, 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 the Scouse humour. Uh, amazing, amazing show. And then from the 90s, the Larry Sanders show. Gary Shandling was a genius. Yeah, absolute genius. And uh, I, I, I bought a box set of it about 10 years ago. With, and it was I thought I was being very, uh, spending a lot of money. It was 110 I euro d- or I something. I did exactly the same thing, And yes. it's the best 110 euro I ever spent in my whole life. I watch it endlessly. Endlessly I can watch it. Hank and the sex tape. I mean, the, everything. <laughs> uh, the, the Wu-Tang, when he, when he tries to talk to the Wu-Tang clan, he tries to be all hip when Jon Stewart is on. I mean, there's endless stuff. Brilliant performances um, and, not afraid, and not afraid to go there. It's not afraid no. to tackle stuff, not afraid to tackle 
extreme kind of sexism in the workplace but it, it it's just it's an amazing show I would, and yeah. another one that I actually watched again during lockdown Mad Men yeah I, um, the first four seasons I think were amazing because uh, it was just that brilliant central premise of 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 the main character having lived a complete lie his whole identity was a lie and his greatest talent was telling lies to the American public as the ad man and that was just a great kind of premise to make any show on Don Draper uh, and it was a very de- it was a very literary show it was very depressing it was very kind of uh, it wasn't plot driven you know it was very character driven and, and loved it the only one I'd sort of disagree with you with is Ted Lasso, which I felt fa- faded really badly throughout yeah, the well, second well, series. Yes, it did. T- Ted Lasso is very much like these new these new shows that come on. They're very brightly lit. They're very brightly shot. England looks amazing, like Afterlife, the Ricky Gervais one. And I think they're they're designed by committee in a way, and they they you you have a good time. But they're for people who are working hard all day and they want to watch something, and it's not it's not shit. It's you know it's well yeah. done, and there's a bit of humanity in it, and I and. Uh, but ultimately they do fade from memory. And I, I, I Ted Lasso, I kind of liked the first season because I did think it was interesting in how it dealt with men and how, yes. how men were, men's identity was changing and the women were taking up the very masculine roles and the men were... But became perhaps too uh, self-conscious in the second series. I, I think it did. I mean, a lot of these things do, you know. And you love uh, Euphoria, I believe. Well, my, my nephew put me on to Euphoria uh, and... Um, I thought that was a stunning series. I've only listened, done the season one. I found it very uh, hard to take. It was very full on, um, and it it. But but younger people really respond to that show. It's really talking to them, you know. An amazing performance by the main uh, actor in it, Zendaya is that her name? Um, yes. So that was a stunning show, and visually stunning, actually. Well, we have to finish with a sort of a cultural buried treasure. Anything that you'd recommend that we've perhaps overlooked? You've given us two things. Well, yes, there's one just, I mean, there's a film called Wanda from 1970 by a female filmmaker called Barbara Loden. And it was way ahead of its time, shot in grainy 16 mil about a house, ordinary housewife who just says, you know, feck this, I'm sick of everything and I'm going to go on a kind of a robbery spree. So it was, it, it was ahead of Thelma and Louise by about 21 years. But it's a stunning film, well worth seeing. And then you have a TV show, a, Craig a, a Cash. Great, uh, Craig Cash, the great Craig Cash, who co-wrote uh, Royal Family, uh, also co-wrote with another guy, Phil Mealy, this show called um, uh, Early Doors, set in a Stockport pub, uh, very kind of where all these kind of group of, of characters meet every day at the same time. They're all kind of losers, uh, and he, li- the, the the main man, is the landlord Ken, who uh, lives upstairs with his mother. And it is bittersweet, it's heartbreaking, it's very funny, it's very Northern English kind of humour. A young James McAvoy is in it, he's in the first season and then he went off to Hollywood. Uh, uh, But it's a gem, 12 episodes, it's, check it out. We're out of time. Eugene (laughs) O'Brien, it has been terrific having you for the Culture Club. Congratulations on the debut novel, Going Back, and also on the new play, Heaven. And I said there'll be a few people going back and digging up Pure Mule again on the basis of having listened to this this evening. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, 